podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to That Sports Merch Podcast with myself, your host, Lee Hyde. Something a little bit different on this episode, I'm flying solo. Our regular co-host and familiar voice to the show, Matt, is taking a short time away from the podcast as he enters the world of becoming a new father. Congratulations to Matt and his family at this special time. I'm sure we'll hear from him soon. It's hoped that we will have a guest co-host joining the podcast in the meantime, and I'll hopefully be able to bring you some news on that very soon. Before we get into today's feature episode, I wanted to let all of our listeners know, especially those within the sports retail industry, about our newly branded sports industry WhatsApp group, That Sports Match Chat. So this is a group which was established back in March 2020 as a way of UK football club retail teams opening up the lines of communication during the COVID pandemic. At such an uncertain time, it was a really positive tool to keeping the industry conversations going. Now, we're keen to extend the share of best practice into new sports and beyond the UK borders. We're opening up the WhatsApp group to any key decision makers or key players within any official sports club retail team or rights holders who operate retail on behalf of sports clubs around the world. So whether you're a head of retail, a retail director, a buyer, a licensed category manager, territory manager of stores, or any of the other key roles within pro sports retail, we really want to get you involved. We want to try and grow the group, have lots of best practice share and conversation going back and forth across the globe. And we want to try and facilitate something that is a great tool for like-minded professional sports industry retail teams. So if you're interested in joining, the easiest way to do that is to find that Sports Merch podcast page on LinkedIn. From this page, you should be able to link to my profile. It'll come up Lehigh Sports Solution Lead at ClearCourse Sports, which is my day job. And it'll also have the podcast host position on there as well. Once you've found that, firstly, connect with me if you're not connected. It's great to hear from those people that listen to the show. Um, But then drop me a direct message with your mobile or your cell phone number that you want adding in, and we'll get you up and running. We'll get you added to the group. Um, We'll give you a little introduction and give everybody that's in the group a chance to say hello, and then you can get involved. Anyway, back to today's show. This week, we speak to Sam Swanton, who is the head of retail at Wigan Athletic Football Club currently playing in the second tier of the English Football League. Sam gives us a real insight into managing his retail department through adversity, not only during a global pandemic, but also the club entering financial difficulties and ultimately ending up entering administration where the club would stay for the best part of a year. That ended up being a year in which they wholly unexpectedly won promotion back from the third tier to the second tier against all the odds. Without further ado, let's hear from Sam. Sam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for finding the time. Perhaps you can just start by giving a a brief potted history of your career to date, how you've managed to find yourself not only in football, um, but up at Wigan. Yeah, um, thanks for having me on. A brief history is quite, uh, I mean, despite only being in, in professional sport as a career since I was 21, uh, so in my what eight years, I've had quite a lot to uh, to go through. But in a very very brief sense, um, I left university when I was twenty one. Um, I studied at UCFB, walked straight into a customer service uh, representative 
at MK Dons as a bit of a, a foot in the a foot in the career path that I wanted to go into. Worked my way up into retail, kind of stumbled upon it. Uh, the former head of retail had left, um, and he kind of just needed someone to look after it. So uh, started started looking after the stock, and then worked my way up there to merchandising manager. And then um, an opportunity came up at Wigan, where DW Sports were taking a bit of a step back in terms of managing the retail, and they wanted someone to manage it in house. Uh, so. At the age of 25, I moved up and um, nearly four years later, still here after <laughs> quite a turbulent uh, few years, but now entering into a quite a, a, a nice state of stability. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you could say that. And some, we're, we're going to touch on quite a lot of that. And, and that is, uh, you know, the basis of, of today's episode. So thanks for that. Interesting that you were able to kind of move into that position at, at MK Don straight out of UCFB. I know from talking to you before the show, you, you're obviously now studying the Masters at UCFB mm-hmm. as well. It's great what those guys do. And, and hopefully this gives a little bit of an insight to, to some of the current students, um, what opportunities are out there and, and how you've kind of planned your journey through to where you are now. I mean, big decision to move up to Wigan at 25, up, up sticks and, <laughs> and move. How, how did you find that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, it was kind of half and half in terms of, of personal and professional. Um, I. I I had a lot to owe to Andy Cullen, who was the chief executive at MK Nons at the time. He's now at Portsmouth. Nearly yeah. up sticks and left to a recruitment job in London about a year or two previous. Um, a very typical student out of university chasing money. Um, but Andy convinced me to stay and you know work in football and uh, and gave me a bit of um, trust in, in giving me the merchandising manager role at MK Dons. Um, and said, like, you know, treat it like as if you're a footballer. And if a club in a higher division comes in, you know, and offers you a career move, then he would step aside. And, and that's what happened. Um, I knew nice. someone who worked here, um, who went to university with as well, um, Dave Whitaker, who now works for Sport 5. He informed me that there might be something coming up. So uh, applied for it. Didn't think I would get it, if I'm completely honest. I thought there were a lot of other people out there in, in the retail and the sport game that, would have a lot more kind of to give than I would at the time. But a three-hour interview later um, and a very oh, wow. tentative um, drive back home to Hitchin, didn't think anything of it. And then a couple of days later, it was offered and it was, uh, right, <laughs> what, what do you do? And, you know, in, in, in the Northwest, <laughs> but on the personal side of things, you know, the house prices were a lot more affordable for someone my age. And if it was anything, it was away on the property ladder. And I thought, yeah, give it a season, see how it goes. Little, little did I know that, you know, eight, eight months into my first job, we'd be put into administration and COVID happened and everything that comes with it. But I, I, I feel like I say a lot to, to my friends and, and people who are in the same industry as well. I feel like if I'd have thought about the decision more, I probably wouldn't have done it. I feel like it all happened so quickly that I didn't allow myself to, to rationalize it as much um, as maybe I should have. But I, I benefit from it now in that we're going to really, yeah. really give me the, the chance to, to work and to to trial and to experiment with different things with different things and, and and here we are today. So sure. And what was it about the Wigan role when it came up from what you were doing at MK Dons? Obviously, you'd mentioned that you'd possibly had a little look around at MK Dons at other careers as well. And you know, Andy Cullen had talked you around and given <laughs> you a bit of an arm around the shoulder, and you know, you, you gave him a bit back because of that. Which you know, it's fantastic when it happens in sport to get that relationship with. Your, your senior managers um, yeah. and have that support and their buy and it is fantastic but what was it about Wigan was it a bigger challenge was it just a, a team higher up the pyramid and obviously 
personal um, ambition? What what kind of drew you to, towards that role at Wigan before, obviously, you yeah, th- th- uh, there were two found out what you found out once you were in <laughs> there the There were role. two really unique projects at the time. I mean, MK Dons were going through a bit of a transition in terms of, uh, well, in, in terms of the club as a whole, as you could probably argue, and retail. Um, I I inherited a lot of stock that was there for, for a long time, um, in some cases, 11 years. Um, there were a couple of lines of products. Um, and it was like I, I've seen myself, and I'm not saying that MK were were victim to it, but there are a lot of clubs further down the, the football pyramid where retail can be seen as a bit of a burden and a bit of a, you know, it, it, it's tough to do when someone isn't monitoring it 24-7. So MK Dons was a lot of a lot of getting getting through the stock and making it as profitable as possible. And then M- Wigan came along and it offered me a completely unique project, which is a store with a blank canvas. There's no stock. You know, it was completely fresh, completely new. And it was starting literally from scratch. So the initial sure. transition was quite challenging because I, 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 I took the job, I believe, in around February to March in 2019. And at that point, I was doing the buying for Wigan and for MK Dons at the same time because I had a three-month notice period. So uh, I was buying for a fan base that I didn't know the demographic. I didn't know the, I didn't know what they sure. wanted. I didn't know, you know, I'd never bought a bucket hat before, and I didn't realise that the Northwest loved bucket hats. And you know, it's little things that <laughs> that, that you, you, I kind of went on a bit blind, and it, it paid off. And there's, a, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of learning curves in that first season, and I'm still doing them now. But that first transition period of coming in, we end, we started in June, and the shop was still very much had its DW Sports stamp, um, which we had to just completely eradicate building site for four weeks. And then we were still putting yeah. things on shelves three hours before we opened the new shop in July. So it was a very, very, very uh, tight turnaround. All of a sudden, I'd never done any kind of shop fit out. So all of a sudden, I'd moved up to a brand new place I'd never been before at 25. I had to hire all of my new staff and gut the space that I had and rebuild it within the space of six weeks. So I had to learn quickly, which I think has benefited me in the long run. But yeah, it was certainly a certainly a challenging time, but it was a, an enjoyable one. Yeah, it sounds like a great project though, you know, being able to put your stamp on something so early in your tenure, you know, going in there, as you say, with a complete blank canvas, as opposed to going in there with, you know, let's say stock issues and bits that just need to be cleared and all sorts of challenges, maybe staff that aren't ideal and you know all of those things yeah. that you come across in every day-to-day retail you, you were really starting from scratch and and i guess that's yeah. the dream that got sold to you obviously when you went for yeah. the interview and obviously under what three ownerships ago now uh well uh, you could argue well including the administration yeah and and it was and, and everything was great and it was as promised um but then obviously you know there's only so much as a club we could have done at the time because we had, you know, the owner, the, the Chinese owners who they were putting a lot of money into the club at the time. Um, we, we never saw them. They were very fairly silent owners. And then obviously COVID struck first. Uh, all of a sudden you have to then again completely change. You have to adapt to, to your surroundings and, and what you have. And obviously we're going on a day by day basis. We didn't know what was going on. So we went to an Argos, went to online, then we went to like an Argos style where we opened up near the front of the shop. Uh, to allow people to come in and touch and feel, but only on a really, really tight basis because we had to go by the COVID regulations. And then all of a sudden, after the season started back again in July, you know, there were rumours that we might be going into administration. And it was bizarre because we just beaten Stoke 3-0. Um, I remember it. And then the next day it all came out that, you know, we found out in Sky Sports. 
as everyone else did in the shop. And it was Incredible. it was one of those really really surreal surreal moments where um you know that was it and the, the buying stops and you know everything stops. You don't know who you're working for anymore. You don't know where the money's coming from. And it was a, it was a case of going home on a Friday not knowing about work on a Monday. Yeah, sure. And were there no early indicators? Were there no red flags? Not, was it literally just from that great result against Stoke? Not really. To, I mean, there was wow. there was quite a in hind. I mean, hindsight's a you know a very great thing when <laughs> when you look at it from this side of yeah, of course. But you know, it, when there was an ownership that changed hands at one point, where the former owners had us on the stock exchange or something along those lines. I don't want to quote things that I'm not definitely familiar with. And then there was a change of hand somewhere. And it was very much, uh, there was a statement by the club as, as everything is, and it was very much, you know, this is formality and there was no reason to suggest otherwise. You know, it was, there was a lot of money being spent, but the owners were, were putting their money where their mouth was. And for us, there was no reason to be, to question anything. And then all of a sudden, it literally was, we walked into the shop and, oh, what's this? So not only were we battling against COVID, as everyone else was, we had no bums on seats. We had no way of, allowing fans to spend money. So the only way that the retail side of the club benefited was the only possible way the fans could help the club was by buying stock, whether they wanted it or not. There was, it's essentially sympathy buying. And which for me was so bittersweet because you, you want people to buy your stock because they like the quality. They like the design. Yeah. They like the, you know, the, the, the pull factor of the product itself. And you, you don't want the sympathy part of it, but then that's the only way they could, they could pledge the money. Um, so very strange time. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Such a weird situation to be in. And what did that do to, to your role, to, to retail in general? I mean, what, what challenges you, you mentioned there that the buy-in, you know, stopped, no, no buy-in, no, no spending because obviously you've moved into administration. Yeah. How did you look to work with that situation? And obviously, it gets worse before it gets better when you're in administration. Sure, it, um, it, it's certainly. I mean, I, I feel like anyone in my, in my role, you have to have an innovative side about you anyway. But it kind of was just that on, you know, times ten. And I was told, and obviously rightfully so by the administrators, look, you know, we have to put the money on, you know, making sure we can finish the season. That was it. We need to finish it at the end of the season. Travel and and everything like that was completely stripped back, and we were the only ways we can get money. Mm-hmm. And so. We we adapted. We found out ways. We I, I found a local provider of those <laughs> famous cardboard cutouts, which were found everywhere in all different stadiums. And I'd agreed with the administrators that any sales of them, I can ring fence and reinvest into stock. Oh, okay. So because yeah. they they you know we sold them for twenty quid, they were half the price at cost. We were just sent the uh, the proceeds, so we never invoiced for the cost of them. I just said, just send me the profits, and then I can ring fence that round. So then we started to reinvest that in and then it got to a point where it was so stretched that, you know, we had to find a way of buying the first team's kit for the following season. And again, we had to use the the inventory and the, the investment that we're getting through retail to, to pay for that. And that's where the supporters club came in that were very, you know, very forthcoming in terms of helping us out. Um, that's why they went on the shirts for the first start of the 2021 season, which was only meant to be for a month. It was only meant to be for a short term because we'll find another one and Believe it or not, a common administration isn't maybe a very popular <laughs> uh, asset to put your brand on for for a season. So it stayed on there. It stayed on there all year. Wow. wow. I mean, that is innovative, having to generate your own revenue stream for retail to be able to in- reinvest that money 
to be able to create the revenue stream, mm. which keeps the business going. I mean, we, you know, at the time I was at Ipswich, um, I was working club side and, you know, the pandemic enough was mm. enough to deal with, never mind the challenges that you, you guys were going through as well. And we very much felt the weight that retail was the only revenue mm. coming into the club, you know, realistically, other than, you know, streaming and, and, and pockets mm. of, revenue that were on a very ad hoc basis you know yeah. retail was 24 7 365 mm-hmm. for those who migrated their presence online as quickly as they could and obviously as the stores started to be able to reopen it was sure. very much a, <laughs> a a slim down version of in-person shopping should we yeah. say but adding an administration on top yeah. of that it it's as it's as bad as it gets right yeah, the, I mean, it became a bit of a routine. I mean, my fiance now she's um, was a hairdresser, so she was completely out of the. Um, she was out of working completely. Sure. And um, I was going into work from nine till twelve every day. But at the time, we didn't have a suitable online courier system, so I was going in with the labels, doing the manual Royal Mail labels on each individual parcel that we had online. I was then putting them in big sacks and then taking them myself to the post office and individually scanning them with the girl who i got quite quite jummy with at the end bless her and she was standing go right come in sam how many have you got today and you'd have I don't know, 40 50 60 however many it was a day and we'd have to stand there and then i'd have to take all of the tracking codes go back to our system that we've got now and individually input each one so i would have my slot to be allowed in the stadium between 9 and 12 which was safe for covid sure and then spend the re- next two or three hours doing all the admin to make sure people just had their tracking numbers at the very very least and it got to a point that my other half, she would actually start helping with it because there was nothing really else to do for her. But it became our new norm, and it, it and you just find your new norm, whatever it's going to be. And then the shops opened, and then the shops closed again, and then they open again, and then they close again. And it was it, we just found the new norm, and we did well from it. We we made a, a decent amount of money considering our circumstances. Um, the fans were extremely patient and extremely you know symp- sympathetic to the situation that we were in, which obviously you kind of expect i mean i think i don't think i expect anyone to come in and start kicking off with the fact that the first batch of home shirts we got in was on september the 22nd i, I still mm-hmm. remember it you know everything was making sure we had kit for the players and it really was that close to the bone i still remember being in uh, in norfolk with my family and uh watching it switch away in the first game of the season and we wore our black kit i think i'd printed the last shirt something like a day before because we just got the gold printing in the day before because we had to wait to pay for a pro forma invoice yeah. to release all the stock. And it was, it was literally, you know, it was hand to mouth, hand to mouth, but yeah, um, everything was tight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was going to be a question about the fans. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned that they were sympathetic. They were compassionate to, to you and your team. And, you know, they, they understood it. I mean, fans do their research. They do their diligence. They find out things that you'd never anticipate a fan being able to find out, but. You know, it's great that yeah. they supported you. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of concern for them and a lot of worry for them about whether their football team would, would still exist at the end of this. Yeah, but the fans were kind of always under the impression that whenever they, it got really bad, there was a, a slight bit of good news that, that that would happen. We might have signed a player on a on a month contract because I feel like I think that's all we could do at the time. Um, we could only sign a player on a month rolling contract. Yeah. What I do find funny is that throughout that season, there were three different players who were the squad number five. And it kind of just shows the uh, <laughs> how the season went for us. Nightmare but the, I feel like the fans, oh yeah, not off. 
<laughs> I've never tried to to spray off a name as many as much as I could, but they're all different sizes. We had a centre half, it was an XL, a medium, and a large. But the fans were, were always very upbeat because I think they were also mindful that they didn't want to walk into the stadium, into the shop that was the only customer-facing part of the club left, and walk in and say, you know, are we even going to be here next season? Are we going to do this? I feel like they were always, mm-hmm. we will find a way out of it. The fans were incredible. I mean, I don't know whether you you saw, but we did the, a crowdfunder. Basically, I feel like it was in case no one came forward, it would be pretty much, you know, a fan run and we wanted to put our bit into it. And there was something like just shy of a million quid raised Wow! at the point where nearly everyone was furloughed. Financial hardship was probably worse off than it is as we speak now. Yeah. Um, they didn't even know what they were putting their money to because they might not have even been in club there. It's incredible. But there was, near, no, I, you know, it might, I think it was about... Nine hundred thousand pounds was raised, and it was just incredible. And that's what's so great about this new ownership is that the first thing they did was refund it all. Oh wow! We gave it all back. Amazing. So it was very powerful for me to come from. You know, MK Dons is a unique club in in its own right, and you know, it's great to see how they work and the stadium and the facilities that they've got and the short history that they have to go with it, which I got used to. And then you come to a club where the dads. The granddads, the great granddads have an affiliation with MK Dons. They didn't happen. You know, it was a very, very new club in the pyramid. Whereas here, you, you, st- you started to really see the reach and, you know, the, the tattoos on legs. And my granddad played for the club in the 70s. And, you know, that, that happens quite regularly, yeah. which is I wasn't used to. And mm. they put their money where the mouth was quite literally when the club needed it. You know, they dug deep and people put in a thousand quid, people put in you know, 500 quid in, and these are just everyday fans. And then you got the likes of um, yeah. Jermaine Defoe put in five grand because he, he put in a grand for every goal that he scored against us when they beat us 9 1 in the Premier League and he scored five. So everyone there, so he put a grand in for every goal he scored against us. But yeah, no, it was a, it was a, an extremely challenging time. It was, you know, it was the first time I'd had to, you know, make someone redundant. And that was horrible. Luckily, I've, I've now since rehired that same bloke back. Um, so it all kind of came in full circle. But, you know, you put the phone down when you're 25 years old, managing a, a, a department of, you know, we've got a modest size. It's about six of us. I put the phone down and called my dad straight away and said, Dad, how do you, what do you do? How do you make someone redundant? What's the best way? And, you know, it's within yeah. nine months, you're buying a house, you're moving somewhere completely new and you're excited. And within nine months, you're in administration, hoping that you're keeping your job. And, but, um, but you're better for it now. Yeah, it's it's uh, not not that I've been through the administration. I've been through redundancies and bits, but you know, you take at the time it's it's the toughest thing that you'll ever have to do. Um, but you know, further down the line, you grow for it, and you you know, people respect that it's not you making that decision; it's circumstance, and you know, you you're doing essentially what the business needs to to keep a pulse. You know, and I'm sure at the time in a pandemic, it, it was a nightmare. For, for somebody being made redundant but you know i'm sure they understand and great news that you've been able to to kind of re-employ that same person i mean i was i was going to ask how did it how did the situation kind of roll in terms of the team and headcount and you know worrying stressful time not just for you but for all your staff mm. were the staff kind of kept up to date with what was happening from the administrators or was it kind of fed to you and then you had to kind of disseminate that and take take the necessary actions yeah uh yeah it, there was don't get me wrong i mean you know the, the administrators were, were were put with an extremely difficult situation to try and sell a, a football club 
is a niche project anyway. It's not like any other business in, in the world, buying a football club. Um, buying a football club in administration is certainly challenging. Um, the positive was that we had assets that we could sell, which kind of kept us going. But in terms of that, you know, that we they would tell us when we asked, you know, they would tell us as much as they could. Sure. And in terms of job security and things like that, was it was it clear? Was it transparent? Yeah, I mean, it was as, again, it was as transparent as they could have been because I don't think at any point in time they could have said your job is completely safe because at the end of the day, if no one came to buy us, it wasn't safe because obviously you can't enter administration into two seasons. Luckily, the current you know Phoenix Twenty Twenty One Limited came in um, at the end of March and, and secured all of that, and you know we, we came to a point that it was nearly every day there was just different different groups of people walking around in suits, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to buy a club, we're going to do this. And it got to a point that it was just like, you just, you just didn't believe any of them. Yeah. It was just, it, it, it sounds quite, it, it almost felt like vultures. You just had, yeah, you just had suits walking around going, you know, nice to meet you and you're doing this and you're doing that. And, you know, we're going to do this and, you know, we're going to improve this and look forward to seeing you soon. And it's like, uh, yeah, okay. And then, one of those soups actually, t- actually, you know, stuck by their word and, and, and did it. And we're very lucky that they did because we were kind of in a position where not only, not only did we, we would have kind of taken anyone. We've got a team that actually had a vision that weren't so money driven and so, so kind of naive to think that they can just take, you know, make a quick buck and, and buy it for what it was, which was effectively a shell of a club at the time. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, skeletal staff. It was, players who did did so well in the circumstances but you know they're all kind of you know either free agents or they'd you know run out of contract other clubs so it, everyone was just doing their bit and these guys turned up and they said right you know there's a heritage here and the guys from Bahrain and you know highlighted a few people that can come in and, and really manage it on a day-to-day basis and they've done so really well and I don't think anyone expected us to get promoted last season. Um, we just wanted a bit of stability and a bit of, you know, we can be on the beach in April kind of thing. So, mm. But instead, in true Wigan fashion, we go and win the league, which, which is, uh, again, that's a first for me as well. I've never won a league before. So how long were the club in administration? So July the 1st, we went in uh, 2019, and then we came out of it, I believe it was March the 31st, 2020. Wow. So yeah, a good what? Yeah, was that good nine months? Quarters, well, nearly, months, nearly a full months. season. Um, um, and and in terms of that administration process, you know, looking at retail specifically, did um, did, did you lose suppliers due to the situation? I, I assume. Yeah, the suppliers were at the end of the day. Everyone, everyone at that time, kind of, I feel like you know, shut up shop and we had to protect themselves, which is completely understandable. Puma were great. Um, you know, that they were in a very tricky position where, you know, we needed stock to sell, we needed kit to play in. Yeah. And we worked really well and really, really closely together. And they made sure that, you know, they could kind of extend their arm as, as, as financially and as morally possible for us. Mm-hmm. And in turn, we, you know, if there was an asset sold and if there was a, a small pot of money that was came available, we made sure that we paid them, you know, accordingly. So, Yes, some suppliers were great. Other suppliers maybe weren't as 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 willing or as um, as as happy to to be as flexible. Which again, I, I have absolutely no issues with that at all. I, I completely get it. Uh, you know, they've got cash flows as we do. So, but I certainly haven't. You know, my my, my mindset of suppliers before and after administration, nothing really changed. Um, yeah, I 
didn't exactly have much buying power to walk in and say, right, come on, you know, just because we've worked together at MK Dons and now I expect you to keep supplying me and I can't promise you the money back, you know, that, that they're, all, they're always going to kind of coil. Yeah, you're cap in hand at that stage, aren't you? But, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. So, you know, when, when I ring-fenced that money from the cardboard cutouts, that helped. And then, you know, we sold product and then we ring-fenced that. And then, you know, we, we, we found a rhythm. And I was just very, very open with the suppliers from the outset and just said, look, you know, this is our situation. It's not exactly, you know, private or secret, but um, can we work together on this basis? And some said yes, some said we'll have to be flexible and some said no and i respect each decision um but somehow we we uh we made it through it and, and what happened to the range and the you know the product selection in that in that stage were you able to keep it to somewhat you know of a selection or did you were you really battling in terms of you know not having the stock to to then generate the revenues uh, i mean we were battling we were i mean the only, I, I remember laughing saying the only good thing about this is our stock take would be easier um <laughs> <laughs> that was that was about it i take mean the positives. It, it was, again yeah it was quite a unique situation because dw sports had a relatively low amount of variation stock it was a lot of you know yeah. replica kit training kit um a few bits and bobs here and there but obviously they are a huge retailer but were a huge retailer and when you've got you know the likes of asics and reebok and under armor and all these other lines that they're probably mm. contractually obliged to take a lot of you know their emphasis is on that and when whelan owned their own sports brands they could probably pick and choose the quantities to sell so when i took it over and you start to launch the different products when you start to have a pet lead and you start to have a uh, a dog bowl and you have you know soft toys and and things that they haven't normally had we, it was like oh this is great when actually i'm just providing yeah. the bare minimum as a retailer but the fans weren't used to it yet so even in administration we still had probably more lines to offer than they had were, they were used to anyway yeah so it felt it felt fresh to them it felt like a new product selection yeah. for you it's just really building out those categories and, and not even really having got yeah. started fully, you know, you'd had some land, some lines land and, you know, that provided yeah. excitement amongst the fan base, but yeah. it was nowhere near what your end goal was, right? No, I mean, it, it, th- there were certainly no new lines. It was more of a, you know, did that really plain t-shirt work yet? Right, just get that in again. You know, I, I don't want to have to pay for another, for a new screen print. I don't have to pay for sure. a, uh, you know, it was more of a, what has already worked? And what can we just simply reorder to cut down on the design time, to cut down on the lead time, to cut down on the screen cost, to cut down on whatever. And it's, you know, strip back who can do minimums of 25s, who can do minimums of 50s. And yeah. it is in, out, in, out, and then stop, take a look around, take stock quite literally, and then seeing what works and what doesn't. And it was extremely limited. Of course it was, but it was enough to make us still a respectable retail outlet despite all of the challenges we were still turning up to work every day making money for the club to continue to keep at the end of the day we make money for the football team to play football and as long as we were still doing that then um it was that lifeline yeah and you know in some ways everyone in in my position and in your position that is the end goal you can be the best marketer the best retailer in the world but if you're if you're starting 11 i've lost 15 in a row it's hard to sell anything. And at the same time, that was kind of reversed with us. And all we, all we had to do was just make as much money as we could with the product that we could just to keep paying the coaches to take the lads to the away games, pay for the hotels, pay for the, you know, the sports supplements and pay for the water bottles and pay for yeah. whatever it could have been. And it literally was hand to mouth. So, um, <laughs> I'm grateful for that, for, for not having that pressure now. 
yeah, that is some pressure on your shoulders for sure. And how about trying to, I mean, you've, you've said about, you know, you needed to, the main priority was buying some kit for the players to wear, you know, not, mm. not even prioritizing replica kit. Um, but how about, you know, trying to plan kit purchases, kit forecasts, kit launches? I mean, <laughs> could you even have a kit launch? No, no, no. It, it was a, it, it, it was, I remember we asked, um, Cal Naismith, uh, Joe Garner and Tom Pierce, I think it was. Here, lads, here's the kit. Put it on by the side of the pitch. Let's take some pictures of you. You know, that's as far as we go. Not, not knowing whether those players were going to even appear. No, no. And they had every right to not. Um, sure. Cal was our captain at the time. He's now at Bristol City. He stayed, I think he stayed until January. And I remember because he went from number 33 to seven. And I remember thinking, you know, I've, bit of a bold move to go from that to, to a number seven shirt. And then he got given a captaincy um, and he left in, I think he left in January. And then he offered to pay for the shirts that had his name on. He offered to pay for a new shirt for everyone else, which was very, which is very nice of him. Yeah. But no, it was very much a, let's get the kit in for the lads. You know, we worked out how many, you know, obviously, I mean, I don't know how other clubs work, but I centralized the buying for the academy, for the, re- for the retail, for pro, for marketing, sure. for community trust. And it kind of just goes through one channel. It's easier that way. Yeah. So I looked back and gone, right, you know, we ordered this amount for the first team across the season. Realistically, we can make do with 10% of that for now and tell the lads, you can't have two shirts for each game. You've got to have one shirt. You can have two shirts when we get to a point. And then it was, you know, liaising with the FA and saying, look, you know, we can't really put the FA Cup sleeve badge on because you don't have enough kit. You know, getting the removable poppies for the poppy game because we don't have enough shirts to print a poppy on and then just give away. So there had to be a lot of understanding with the players because when you get into the winter months and they're in a cold shirt and they're going in at half time and they sit there for 15 minutes and then going out again in a wet shirt and people say a lot of things, but you know, that isn't elite professional athletes, you know, that, that, that is not elite equipment. So it was a, we, what can, what can tie them over for the time being? And it was this going, right. Okay. That will do. And worked with the supporters club who, who, um, raise the funds basically to to pay for that initial amount of of stock so your kits at that time were they were they off the shelf because there's no way of you providing a an annual forecast or were puma good enough to still kind of manufacture a bespoke item for you yeah so puma so obviously we we submitted the designs in well probably november december in 2019 so that all started to drop in June. So all of the bespoke kit was in the country. Ah, of course. Yeah. So it wasn't so much of an issue. So it was more of a, you know, right, we'll work with you here and we'll do this and we'll make sure that you've got kit. And they did. But at, at the time I said, look, we have to make sure that the players have a kit in the first place. I don't want it to be to be so obvious that we're in, that we're, we're in trouble by wearing last year's kit, you know, which at one point was was an option. But, you know, Puma worked with us and made sure that we did. They all turned up blank without a sponsor on. And then we retrospectively applied the sponsors on because we had to, you know, go to an outside company and get them applied. Uh, And then it was like, right, okay, they're sorted. Now we need a batch of away kit. And now we need the first batch of, I think we had a thousand home shirts in September. They first dropped, like, just just get them in. Just get them in. They'll all be blank. And then if you want the sponsor applied, you can pay the five quid just to cover the costs of the, of the uh, of the sponsor sure. and it was just literally you know people come here have you got any goalkeeper kits and you're like nope we got our first drop of shorts and socks and goalkeeper kit in january <laughs> which was uh not ideal which was quite which is quite yeah not ideal not bizarre but then at the same time i understood it wasn't essential it wasn't an essential buy you know i said look as long as people can have the shirts the shorts and socks aren't far different from the year before 
and then uh, we had to, we, we got an amount to to pay for the shorts and socks um, <laughs> in January, and they arrived. And you know, again, it's it's a nice little um, you know a reason for people to spend money again. So it's another little injection of of of, of sales. Yeah, we had a second Christmas in January. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everyone completed their kit in January. I guess you weren't even in a situation to be able to pre-sale stuff, were you, under those administration no. processes? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. My the way I I don't personally like pre-orders anyway. I have done it before, and you know I might do it again. But if I don't have to, I wouldn't. I, I have a thing about taking people's money when I don't have the physical stock. Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, you know, that there we've seen issues this year and I know it's very much COVID related in terms of the transport and the courier systems, but taking people's money and God forbid we received the stock and there was some, you know, there was some issue, there was a stitch fault, there was a uh, a sublimation error, there was something that goes wrong and then you have to go back and I'd rather just say they're on the way in, bide your time. But no, and but even then, you know, Christ, I I, I definitely wouldn't want to to assume anything um, mm. at that period of time, um, especially getting kit in, because I had to remember that not only was I paying Puma, for example, I wasn't just paying them for my stock; I was paying them for the training kit for the first team and for the and for the you know the kit and the boots and the you know. So um, sure. yeah, no, certainly not a pre-order that year. No, no. And did, honest question: Did you ever think of giving up and walking away from that, or were you too invested? Honestly, no, I was too invested. There was a lot of very frank conversation I had with my fiance, um, and it was you know she'd moved in with me, and we were talking about getting our own house together when everything cleared down, you know, cleared up, and COVID moved away, and we didn't know when that was going to be. And it was you kind of have to remove yourself from the professional life and think about your personal, which is something that I probably don't do enough. I am very career driven. I always have been, um, and I probably always will be. But at the same time. There was so much that had gone on, and I was so I was quite proud of what, of what we'd accomplished, and I was quite proud of what, with what we'd achieved. That um, I almost wanted to see the transition through to the new ownership, and it was one of those things where you know, if 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 it wasn't for me, then you know, you step aside, and I, th- I felt like I could have left without any guilty conscience, without, and I think everyone would have understood if I did. But yeah. what would you go to at that time? There would there would be nothing to go to anyway. Everyone's furloughed. Everyone's going working remotely and all the costs are being cut anyway. But no, it, it never it never crossed my mind to jump ship ever. Sure. And so thankfully, you know, you've touched on it already, but new buyers were found. Club is in a much better position with stability and growth. Obviously helped by the promotion back to the championship, yeah. which you said was, you know, most unexpected. Mm-hmm. How are things now? You know, when were you able to start building back the merchandising is it at a stage that you're happy with is there still work to do you know how do you feel it's it's going and with that new newfound stability yeah i'm certainly in the position now where i have never enjoyed work as much as i do now right. i i know that in in our field of work in retail there there are a lot of people with a lot of um i don't think barriers are the right word there's a lot of people with a lot of reservations when it comes to retail and a lot of you know, they look at how much is, you know, they don't care that, it, you know, the PO could return 10 quid, they're more interested in that it costs five quid, which is what, you know, I've, I've seen in some cases across the last, you know, seven or eight years. Um, whereas now, um, you know, my immediate boss, um, Mal, um, from the get go has always been, you know, look, you know, kind of the trust is there, you know, I kind of pay you to do a job and, you know, what's the point in, 
overstepping and, and making sure that I check everything that you do. So, you know, there's a there's a level of trust and respect between us that I don't, you know, that I don't go up, go off on a on a spending spree and get things yeah. that don't work. And at the same time, you know, we've also had the figures in the last two years to back that. You know, last year we had a um, we increased re- revenue by um, I think it was one hundred and ten percent. Amazing. This year we in at the end of at December we were up thirty percent on the year before, which is great. And I still think we're finding our feet. Um, I still think we we don't quite know what our capability is yet um the store we have is is relatively modest in terms of size and you know we're doing things to to see how we can best utilize that space um but in terms of a buying strategy and 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 the trust that i have it's i've never had so much faith put in myself to do my job which is great yeah it's empowering isn't it if it, yeah if, if anything now i've gone from always being on a you know, ha- having to sell through as best I can the stock that has been there for years and just trying to get the money back, you know, and if you've got cost back, then you're happy. You might be taking half the cost, but you just need to turn yeah. into some form of cash. And now we're in a position where we can expand and we can try new things. And, you know, some things have worked, some things haven't worked, but this is the first actual season that we have actual figures to relate to. You know, last season, sure. COVID was still sniffing around a little bit. It was, a, it, we, but we won a league the year before with administration. and there's been no actual figures to go by and this is like the first year where we can sorry no this the previous season there was still um dw sports was still knocking around and there was um you know they would sell some of our stock as well so we kind of there was a competitor mm-hmm. uh, which we never really whereas now this year after dw sports unfortunately um folded the retail side of the company we are the exclusive sellers of our merchandise that's it so now we're starting to understand yeah. the the scope and the sales and and what fans really want so um but yeah, no, I mean, for us again, you know, for, for the bigger POs, you know, we go and say, oh, by the way, this is what I'd like to do. And, and we have a laugh and a joke about, and, you know, he, he has his input and, and we, we talk about certain things. And that's the same with, with kit. You know, obviously all the kit buying goes through Mal and the designs and everything. And we go through that together. Um, but obviously the ultimate nod and the ultimate sign off is, is above, is, you know, is a board level. So, um, but no, we have a great relationship and, you know, he's he is the main reason as to why I'm doing my masters. Um, he kind of pushed a lot of motivation back in, which I lost during administration. It was a lot of I can't we fell out of the administration, and I felt like all of my my need and want to do other things was just sapped. I think I was just so emotionally drained from the whole process um, that after you know I spoke and I said it's always something I wanted to do, and what would you recommend? And said that probably now is the best time to do it, and and has and has really helped me, and has and there has always been a an ear for me if I want to run something past him with my assignments or, or some information I might need in terms of the footballing world. And so on a personal and a professional note, the new owners have been an absolute godsend for me personally. And, you know, it, it, it just helps that we've, we won on the pitch as well. So they're kind of appreciated in, uh, in more ways than one. Yeah, definitely. Long may that continue. Final question. What does the club's retail immediate future look like? What, what plans do you have for, for the retail unit at Wigan? I know. You're obviously doing some work on the store. Yeah, well, we, we're trying to max it, uh, and it kind of goes in line with the stadium as a whole. We're trying to make the stadium as you know monetize areas that we can as much as possible, and and you know that's that goes with the concourses, that goes with anywhere, and retail is just one of them arms. Um, you know, we, we are we, we've highlighted that the store that we have now. Thankfully, we've outgrown it because the offering that we have is better than what we have. To be completely sure. honest, so we are actively trying to you know trying to improve that and trying to see how we can 
how we can enhance the customer. I don't like the word journey, but it is the, the customer journey, the customer facing yeah. um, element, whether that's tickets and retail. So, um, yeah, th- there's a lot of exciting things on the pipeline in the next year. Hopefully, you know, that is with, uh, with merchandise and with lines that we're looking to, to bring in. And that is, you know, structurally as well. At the end of the day, the more revenue we make and the more we start to progress, the more opportunities are given to us that we can continue to, to show what we can do and kind of return our gratitude to the fans by offering them the opportunity to wear a wig and hat when they go taking their dog out for the walk. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. It's just, you know, I'm sure it's a, a massive relief that you just have stability, you know, after the, the kind yeah. of experience that you've had pretty much from, you know, walking through the door at Wigan from joining and, and being sold. Yeah. Not not being, you know, not saying that anybody kind of oversold it to you. But yeah, through no fault of your own, very, very quickly thrust into some really difficult and, and challenging circumstances. Yeah. It would have been like that pandemic alone, never mind, you know, the mm. the unfortunate um challenge around administration. But no, thanks for that. It's given us a real interesting insight into what it takes and and just what yeah. priorities are at the forefront of what you're doing on a very much a day by day basis sure. by the sounds of it when the, you know, when the chips are really down, mm. a lot of people, you know, thankfully won't have been in that position within our industry. Um, but I'm sure it's a really interesting listen and a really interesting insight to, to people to kind of understand, you know, we all hear that clubs go into administration. We all hear that, you know, clubs mm. are in financial difficulty, but do we really understand what that means and, and what that means for our, our colleagues across across sport and, you know, those having to really kind of work in those capacities on a on a day-to-day basis. So, no, thanks for that. Thanks for your time. Really enjoyed talking to you. No, thanks for having me on. And, and good luck in the future. And I hope all of those immediate plans and, you know, widening out the kind of business unit and continuing to get that back in from Mal. You know, it stands you in good stead and um, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a success. Hopefully so. We'll see. <laughs> Cheers, Sam. Thank you. Cheers, Lee. Thank you. Cheers, Mike. Thanks to Sam for his time there. I mean, what a fantastic insight that was into the unique set of circumstances and the unique challenges that Sam and his team faced across the club, but also from a from a retail perspective and just some of the constraints that you can't imagine having to deal with. Obviously, Sam's remit there looked after a lot more than retail with the pro kit and all of that side of the business and and just really brings home how difficult the circumstances are. Not only was Sam dealing with a business that was fighting against a pandemic, the same as we all pretty much were, but the added pressure and the added worry and stress of the club being in administration, not knowing its future, being in the hands of the administrators in terms of control. Um, and Sam really being innovative in terms of trying to come up with ways of the club producing profit that could then be reinvested into the only business unit that was bringing in revenue at that stage. I mean, that that's a truly, truly unique set of circumstances that would be hard to replicate and probably won't be seen again to, to have to deal with two major challenges like that. I've, I found that really, really insightful. And it definitely brought a different angle to the podcast in terms of a lot of the episodes that we've featured so far have been about success, have been about growth and people really achieving some fantastic things and have been very positive. 
this episode was aimed at really finding out what life is like when you know you're dealing with adversity and really trying to understand how deep one has got to dig to to really kind of grind through that so yeah i really appreciate sam's time and uh, hopefully it brought some really intriguing content to our listeners and definitely a, a different angle for the podcast so so thanks for that sam that's it for this month's episode. We look forward to seeing you for episode eight. Sports Social Podcast Network. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal.